This episode of I'll Have Another is brought to you by Ambetter from MHS. Ambetter from MHS is more than just a health insurance company. They help you and your family stay healthy and active, and that's their top priority. Each year, Ambetter from MHS takes part in community health events throughout Indiana. This year, they're partnering with the Drumstick Dash to help you stay healthy and help those in need. The Drumstick Dash is the second largest running event in Indiana, and it kicks off on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th at 9 a.m. in Broad Ripple. You guys, my family runs this race every single year. We go to Crown Point to visit my husband's family every Thanksgiving, and we always wait until after the race to head out and visit family because it's so important to us. I love Wheeler Mission. I love what they're doing for our community. And if you do live in the Indianapolis area or anywhere close, definitely check out this race. It's worth your time and energy, and it's so much fun, and it gets to those in need in Indianapolis. Just go to drumstickdash.org to check it out. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so happy that you're joining me today. If you're new to the show, welcome. And if you are returning, welcome back. I'm so happy you came back. This is a show where I bring on motivating and inspiring, normally women, but today is a special episode, and I'm bringing on my first male guest. So you are listening to episode 32, and we are talking with Bob Kennedy. Bob is an American distance runner. He's now retired. He once held the American record in the 3,000 meters, 2 mile, and 5,000 meters. His 5K PR is 12.58. That's insane, and I can't wrap my head around it. He's regarded as one of the greatest U.S. distance runners in history. He ran for IU, go Hoosiers, and he went on to run professionally for Nike, competing in the 92 and 96 Olympics. I've had the opportunity to work with Bob. He used to be on the board of directors for Back of My Feet Indianapolis, where I used to work. And now I work with him. He is the owner at Athletic Annex, which is the specialty run store that I do some part-time work for. Bob has gone on to have a very successful business career. And in this episode, we talk about Bob's running career. We talk about how he got started when he was a little guy and all the way up through his professional career. And then we also get into the business side of things as well. And I didn't let him get away with not giving us some fun things that he's loving and into right now. So, great conversation with Bob. I think that you guys are going to really love the things he has to say and the advice he has to give. Really, really enjoyed this conversation and can't wait to share it with you. Before we get started talking with Bob, I want to thank PrepDish for sponsoring this episode. PrepDish is a healthy meal planning subscription-based service. You don't want to not do this. This is going to make your life so much easier. Allison, the chef at Prep Dish, puts together a list of groceries from you, all categorized so that when you go to the store, you can just check them off your list and grab them quick, and then you prep your meals for the entire week on Sunday. These are healthy, delicious meals, and you won't regret trying this out. So you can go to prepdish.com another, or use the promo code ANOTHER in all caps to get a free, absolutely free, two-week trial. Let me know what you think about Prep Dish when you try it out. Give me a tweet. I'm at Lindsay Hine. I'm super excited for everybody who's tried them out already. Okay, guys, and if you are a regular listener to this show, I would so appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes real quick and give me a rating and review. This is the best way new listeners can, or potential new listeners, I guess, can find the podcast. So I'd really appreciate that. Hey, if this is your first time listening, then just ignore this and don't give me a rating or review. 
unless you really love it and then you can go ahead and do it, right? That's all I have. So let's go ahead and get started with our conversation with Bob. We are talking about Kennedy. You'll be my first male guest. I'm honored. It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm a little um, nervous, I guess. I've thought about interviewing you from the second I decided to start a podcast. Um, I decided to have your girlfriend Christy Beth on instead as one of my first yeah, guests. Yeah, good move. Yes, I thought so too. So Bob and I met when he was on the board of directors for Back of My Feet Indianapolis. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you owned Blue Mile at the time, right? And then we reconnected when you became owner of Athletic Annex. Yeah, yeah. Lindsay, uh, you know, you're so, ta you're so talented. I'm like, in fact, I was talking with um, another uh, friend of ours. I'm like, I need someone who really gets social media and is kind of hip with this certain target demographic we're looking for. And what about Lindsay? I'm like, yes, Lindsay. And so then we, we reconnected. We had coffee. I said, oh, Glenn, Bob Kennedy wants to have coffee with me to talk about athletic and extra. Should I entertain this? And he was like, yes, you should. <laughs> and it's funny because um, when you were, um, when I started working for Back on My Feet, I was trying to figure out what our relationship with the running stores were going to be and everything. Um, I asked the one of the guys, I said, so are we exclusive to Blue Mile or what, whatever? And he said, well, you know, we have Bob Kennedy on board, so we're doing whatever Bob Kennedy wants to do. I'm like, who is Bob Kennedy? So I look you up, and I should have known who you were as, like, a, as a, you know, someone who's super interested in running. But um, then I found out you ran in the Olympics and all this good stuff. So Yeah. So I want to talk to you about that. You are so easy to talk to. I feel like you do such a good job with your employees and people around you, making them feel comfortable. Like you will oh, always say, you. hi, Lindsay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter who it is. You always feel, make people feel welcome. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So my question kind of is, you're known as one of the greatest U.S. distance runners in history, which is crazy. How do you, how do you stay humble and how did you stay humble in those, those years? Oh, how long is a podcast? Um... <laughs> You know, I think I'll start by saying I, I, um, I'm proud of all my running accomplishments, but I still, I believe in my own mind, in my own uh, um, head, um, that that's just a part of who I am. It doesn't define me. And um, so maybe that's part of it. But every step of the way from high school running, uh, where I um, kind of, good quick and won a lot of state championships and then won some national championships in high school. Um, my thought process always was kind of like, well, maybe I can get to the next level. Never really, maybe I can be you know, an American record holder or run in the Olympics or things like that. It was always just kind of one step at a time. So, um, I, and, and that wasn't even planned out. I think that was either just who I am, my personality, how my parents raised me, those kinds of things, so it just worked out that way. But, but I do think you know the. I'll tell you, I kind of get back to your question in a second here. But um, I've heard a lot of people speak over the years, and uh, there's one that I remember in particular. And I was a junior in high school. I was running in the what was then called the Footlocker National Championships, cross country high school national championships. I had a speaker, and the speaker was Billy Mills. And for if you don't know who Billy Mills is, Billy Mills was a 1964 Olympic champion at 10,000. He's Native American. Uh, if you've ever watched the movie Running Brave, that's the Billy Mills story, kind of coming from a, a, um, 
really interesting uh, and uh, background with a lot of challenges behind it from all different points of view. But what he said was, and he said a lot of things, but the one thing I remember they said is, is it was never about and never is about the medals or the records. It's always about the journey. And I was 16 when I heard that. I didn't really, it wasn't like a aha moment where I got it, but it always stuck with me as I got older and as I kind of went through uh, uh, my journey, then uh, I got it. And, and, uh, and so maybe if you want to say I'm humble, I appreciate that, uh, but, but to me it doesn't define me. It, uh, it, it's just a part of who I am. And so the journey continues even at 46. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not competing. Uh, um, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> have uh, a running uh, um, not as much as I'd like to, uh, even though I enjoy it. But the journey and the life journey continues, and so it just never ends. How much are you running right now? <clears throat> <laughs> Whenever I'm in Nashville with Christy Beth, <laughs> I run. Um, I'm running once or twice a week okay. on average. I like to run more because I like I like it when I'm out there. But all of a sudden, I'll wake up one day and go, "Oh my gosh, two weeks has gone by." Yes. Yeah. So when you were a little kid. When were you physically or mentally? Both. Still, yeah. <laughs> You're still kind of there. Um, when did you know that like, you started sports? Whatever you were doing, when were you like, I'm actually really good at this? So um, I played soccer forever, um, and so the the short answer of that is probably my sophomore year in high school. I started running. I ran middle school track, and that was a very much a which it should be kind of like show up at practice, mm-hmm. goof off a little bit, run some races. Uh, my freshman year in high school, I ran cross country. And here's the here's the kind of example of that. And um, I need to, uh, um, sorry, I, I my freshman year in high school, um, I'll try to make this as simple. So in Ohio, where I grew up, they have a, a district cross country meet. It's like the first round of a state tournament. And I was 60th as a freshman, which was really good. Okay. Right? Because that season was over, it wasn't good enough to go to the next regional and then the state meet. The very next year as a sophomore, I was second in the state. Whoa. I made this huge leap. Um, and I think it was... What was the, what was the race? Uh, cross country. So, it was, uh, it's, you know, most high schools, uh, well, in, in high school and in, in various states, they call them different things. But you go through these rounds of tournament, you have to go to the district meet, and you have to qualify for the regional meet, and then you qualify for the state meet. Vienna, it's a sectional, and this yeah. is my state. Yeah. And, um, what was the race you got 60th in? The district, the very first round. So like the sectionals, yes, Indiana the it would be sectionals. Okay, sectionals, gotcha, right. okay. And then the very next year I was state runner-up. And um, How did that happen? Well, I think... <laughs> That's crazy. I think uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to, enough to have... Um, some natural ability. Yeah. Thank you to my parents. And um, uh, and I grew probably five inches. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was growing into my body and, and my natural ability. And that just a lot of that happened that year. Were you, I mean, did you go from, though, just <clears throat> showing up at practice and kind of playing around to, I'm actually killing these workouts and I want to try to be number one? Uh, sort of. Um um, I, um, I, I took the workouts and the practices very seriously, but I was not a, like, I didn't run on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I didn't go run, uh, 12 mile long runs. Yeah. Like I took Sundays off. 
Yeah. I took Saturdays off if we didn't have a meet kind of thing. And that was a very low mileage all the way through high school, all the way through. What do you think, what would you say you were <clears throat> running when you were, because you won state then, your junior, like, senior year? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What mileage were you running then? Uh, in cross country, I was I was probably running thirty five to forty miles okay. a week. Yeah. And were they all fast miles? Or? Most of a lot of quality stuff. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so then you went on to run at IU. Yep. Was that a no brainer? Were you always going to IU? I think it was uh, um, definitely set up. Um, they, IU definitely had the advantage. My dad, uh, both my parents are IU grads. Um, my dad ran track at IU. He did. I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah. What did he do? He was a distance runner. Really? And my dad was my dad. Um, my dad was a New Jersey State record holder in the two mile in high school. Okay. Uh, and then he went to IU and he ran and he actually held a. Um, back in the '60s, they used to run um, a three mile run and a six mile run, not a five k and a ten k on the track. And he had the school record for the six mile run for a little while. So they both went to IU, and so Sam Bell. Uh, was the coach there from basically 1970 through, uh, you know, three years later after that. And um, he's a legendary, iconic kind of middle distance, distance track coach in the U.S. I grew up getting um, um, sheets in the mail every week. Mm. And, and Sam used to write, uh, Coach Bell used to write these comment sheets after every meet and then have everyone's everyone from IU who ran in the race, every 200-meter split, it was a track race, then uh, results and splits, and then at the bottom it would be comments. And a lot of them were awesome, and some of them were pretty hard-hitting. You know, like, uh, there's one I remember of a 400-meter runner uh, my age, who's a great, he was an NCAA champion ultimately, but, but he's, he ran one race and he, he raised his arms up right before the finish and the competitor ducked under and oh. beat him. And he, he, Coach Bell set this up in the comment sheet where he talks about all these uh, uh, times in history where that's happened. Right. And Carl Lewis missed the world record in the Olympic trials because he raised his arms 10 meters out. And, and then he goes, and Alan Turner loses the Indiana Open because of it. Uh, so he would, he would kind of rail on people. Um, but, those were, but I grew up reading those. Uh, and so I went to, I took recruiting visits to the time all the major uh, universities but but in the end uh, Indiana felt like home have you ever done that raise your arms before uh, probably celebrated too early <laughs> yeah but you never got well I was lucky uh, I, well I won an NCAA uh, championship in the indoor mile uh, where I ran 358-1 and second third and fourth place were all 358 and change so it was a very close race and the week after, I was in Coach Bell's office, and we're watching it on tape, and um, on VHS tape. <laughs> and uh, and um, I started, the video shows me starting to raise my hands before I cross the uh -oh. line. And he goes, you're lucky you won that race. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. That's so funny. Um, now, then, when you were running at IU, were you pretty sure, like, I'm definitely going to be running professionally? Um. I, I didn't really understand. Yeah. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Like, I had no idea. I feel like a lot of people say that. Yeah. Until very late. So freshman, sophomore year, I, I didn't know. I didn't Did know. Did your dad run professionally? No. Okay. Mm -mm. And um, I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know, you know, what that looked like. So, no, I was uh, not until much later, uh, junior or senior year, did I start to kind of 
learn about that and wonder if that was an opportunity. And then, I mean, was it like agents started approaching you at the end of big races or whatever? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are rules about that, but um, um, actually I, I sat in a hotel room in Bloomington, Indiana. My very last collegiate race was in Bloomington, the NCAA Cross Country Championships. And I sat in the Holiday Inn hotel room at 46 and uh -huh, past yeah. there with Alberto Salazar. Oh, wow. And Alberto was, at the time, um, field rep um, for Nike, Nike Sports Marketing Running. And Alberto, um, you know, I, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm sitting with Alberto Salazar. And he was talking about Nike wanting to sign me, and he made me this offer. And um, it was a multi-year deal. And I, got, I, I literally said to Alberto, I said, I really appreciate it. I'm very interested in running for Nike. I said, but that's just not going to be enough. He goes, okay, well, I'll go back and look at it. And I walked out of the room, and I was sweating. And I thought to myself, I can't believe I just heard Alberto. I just told Alberto Salazar that that wasn't going to be enough. Ballsy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it all worked out. I, I ran for Nike my entire career. Um, they were my major sponsor. I mean, they named <laughs> shoes after you. Uh, they did, yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. So now you guys can find Bob on social media, Zoom Kennedy. Right. Because that was the Zoom. Yeah. Was the it a spike? It's a track spike and a cross-country spike, Zoom Kennedy, yes. Okay. And so you ran in the 92 Olympics and the 96 Olympics. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And what were what were the highlights um, of, the two, of either year? Well, 1992, I was 21, just almost 22, and, and uh, just out of college, just finishing college. Actually, I still had my fifth year cross-country season left. I, you know, I made I made it to the Olympics, which was great. Um, Wait, question. Sure. If you still had a year left at IU, were you running in like, you know, you watch the trials, like people have their college jerseys on. Did you have your college I jersey did. on? I did. Okay. I was second in the Olympic trials that year in my IU stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Mm -hmm. You weren't with Nike, obviously. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I went to Barcelona and I made the final, uh, which was one of those... Situations where I was like, "Yay! Oh no!" You know, because were you there thinking, "I'm here, I made it, that's the I celebration," did, and or? I just didn't know. And uh, I wasn't, I was not at that point. Kind of, you wouldn't have, wouldn't have seen my name on mm -hmm. any list of potential medal winners. Mm -hmm. Or, um, and so I made the final. I finished twelfth. I was way back. I mean, I don't know if I was two hundred meters back or three hundred meters back, but I was way back. I was never in the race. Um, um, but it was a great experience. I mean, I learned a lot from it. And I was, uh, uh, and then in '96, I was four years older, obviously, and I had been a professional runner. And I really elevated my training from that point. Uh, my mileage was way up. In college, I probably ran 75 to 80 miles a week. Mm. I started running 100 mile weeks, 110, 115. Not that just mileage is the only factor, but it's kind of an easy gauge. And then in Atlanta, you know, I I, I went into the Atlanta Olympics um, um, just at the American record, ran 1258 and uh, the 5,000 meters about a month before, and um, was was actually the fastest. 5,000 meter runner in the field in the Olympics. The the other two guys that had run faster than me that year, Haile uh, Gebrselassie and uh, 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 Daniel Coleman. Uh, Daniel wasn't in the Olympics because he didn't make his the Kenyan team, and Haile was running the 10,000. Um, and so and so I was one of the favorites uh, to win a medal in Atlanta. So it was a whole different ball game and. 
Um, the thing about Atlanta was you could there's probably a dozen men uh, in the race that you could legitimately say had a shot at winning a medal. So a very deep year. We ran um, three races. There's actually we don't people don't know that we ran a qualifying heat on Thursday, semifinal on Friday. They give you Saturday off in the final. Three five k's. Three and four days. That's right? crazy. Boom, boom, boom. That's, yeah. That's part of it. That's part of. Mm-hmm. That's part of the training and part of the process in Olympics. They don't run that many heats anymore. They usually just run a semifinal and a final. Yeah, it seems like a lot for that yeah, big of a distance. Yeah. That's one of my moments where I'm like, get old enough. I'm like, well, back in my day, you know, <laughs> yeah. the track was uphill. Really, really <laughs> um, but um, so anyway, um, got to the final and um, finished sixth. Um, took the lead with about two laps to go. Tried to press. Because um, I wasn't, I was fast over the last couple laps, but not as fast as a lot of guys in the field. So I was trying to trying to uh, run the kick out of them, mm-hmm. and I ran, I didn't run the kick out of enough of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was that cool being being the Olympics were in America that year? Just like because it kind of felt like home. It, it was cool. It 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 provided some um, opportunities to kind of be more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I say that I was always re- I never was always relaxed overseas, and I spent a lot of time overseas, um, so I was never an issue. But for example, I flew home from Europe. I was racing uh, for the opening ceremony, so that was cool. Walking into the stadium, mm-hmm. your home country, uh, um, that was awesome. But then the next day, I flew home to Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and I spent I can't remember what it was five days here, four days in Indianapolis, and um, and then flew back and, and kind of got into the groove there. But yeah. What's that like when you're staying at the line and you're like, I'm about to run in the Olympics? Do you, I mean, are you a nervous? Do you get nervous before racing? Um, I, not yes and no. I mean, it wasn't my first time there, so that's a huge benefit. Um, but I was a very um, methodical um, runner. Um, kind of had a game plan, really tried to execute um, – break it down into small pieces that I could wrap my head around and uh, and so I didn't really get as nervous now I, 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 I when I speak I often tell a story of for the few days before the Olympics where you start to handle nerves and um, my friend Frank Amara was running with me and he's like how you doing I'm like well I'm nervous and he says well why are you nervous and I said well Frank if you haven't noticed we're at the Olympic Games uh, and, and that all boils down to this. You're really nervous. Ultimately, most people are nervous because they're afraid of crashing and burning. Mm-hmm. Not of, hey, I'm supposed to be third and I get fourth or fifth, but more I'm supposed to be third and I you know, don't make the final kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and so um, we talked a lot about you know, having confidence in your preparation, having confidence in your performances up to this moment, and as you start to get nervous to remind yourself that, hey, you're as fit and, and mentally ready to go and um, and try to channel that nervous energy. But when I stood on starting lines, especially in big races, um, uh, well, I'll even back up before that. So there's a process of kind of the warm-up area, uh, the call rooms. There's multiple call rooms and check-ins underneath the stadium, out onto the track. And so the world in my, uh, in my head was huge and then continued to get smaller and smaller as I stepped to the starting line. And so by the time I was at the starting line, I was really just myself. I, 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 
I didn't really notice the stands or the crowds or anything else going on and I was really kind of in this kind of bubble of my own self and as I stepped to the starting line and they raised the gun I, I, I always repeated to myself execute 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 in my head right before the gun went off and so I just set my mind to this process of what I wanted to do almost never worked out to plan <laughs> almost never uh, but that was my way of handling it and not thinking about all these things that may or may not happen. Did you ever get nervous <clears throat> about, like, it's going to hurt really bad? That's what I just, I'm not seeing that as, like, a average kind of rudder. Like, that's always what I get nervous right. about. Like, I'm really nervous about what mile 22 of this marathon yeah. is going to feel like because I know it's going to hurt, and will I be strong enough to yeah. get yeah. through it? Well, I think, I mean, no. Um, um, there's a quote that I, I don't even remember where I said it, but I've seen it kind of reposted over the years that I, I said somewhere that said something like, D distance running hurts, and if you can't accept that, you know, you're not going to run as fast as you can, or whatever the quote was. And uh, But that's the reality of it. Like mm -hmm. it, it just is going to. That's where I handled that by breaking everything down into these smaller pieces. Like I needed the first 200, the first 400, the kilometer split, on and on. And not, if you're in lap three of a 12 and a half lap 5,000 meter race and you're thinking about lap mm. nine and 10, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Right? It's just getting to the next. I used to call it running clock to clock and in, in, in big meets, big track meets, they have massive clocks at each 100 meters that have the running time of the race. I'm like, I want to get to the next clock. I just want to get to the next clock. If I could break it down like that, then I wasn't thinking about lap 10, which is probably the most painful, lap 9 and 10, mm -hmm. probably the most painful part of it. You told a story one time at a staff meeting that I loved about when you were doing your workouts here in America, and then you went over to Africa. All right. Will you yeah. tell that story? I will, yeah. I, and you, you I, I, th I think I have to think about how I say these, because you are... Um, it's coming from me. You're not making a mistake. But everyone thinks I train in Africa. Oh. <laughs> but I, I, I trained with Africans. Oh, I thought you went over there for no, time. No, no. Okay, trained then with I heard of, you wrong. No, I, well, I think I'm, because everyone thinks that. So okay. I think I'm saying it in a way that makes people feel that. Okay. Way. Yeah, anyway. I thought you, like, went over there for a month or something. No. Okay, gotcha. So, so I, I trained a lot with... Um, so the, the best Kenyan track athletes in the world, we have the same agent and coach. And the, the first time I did that, I, I trained in Bloomington right before I flew over to England. Uh, and I did, um, did a workout that was six times 800 meters. So six times two laps around the track. And it was the best I've ever done. And I started out in 205 uh, um, and worked my way down to where I finished in, in 159 for the last so that's sub four minute pace um for the mile for the last one and i was i walked up the track thinking oh, this, you know it's the best i've ever done i'm ready to go um and i flew to flew to england met up with this group and uh, probably 10 days later kind of went to the track and totally coincidentally the the workout was six times 800 meters it was the same workout and uh the very first one was 158. we started off at what i thought was the end-all, be-all, the greatest, not the greatest, but as good as I've mm -hmm. ever done. We started there. And it kind of just set the tone for me of, you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And I've always, I think about business a lot in that way. You don't know, what you, the, the greatest danger is that you don't know what you don't know. 
And um, I, it was kind of an example to me of how your mind can really affect your performance. When people say, you know, it's 90% mental, it's easy to say that, but what does that really mean, right? Um, it's like when you're running a race and someone yells at you, focus, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, well, what does that mean, right? Um, so, so, so it was a great example of uh, when you surround yourself with or, or um, yourself with other people who are better than you or potentially better than you, then it raises your bar. And it's physical, but really it's just your, what your expectations are of what is possible. So that kind of set the standard to go to a whole new level for me. I love that story. Um, and it is good to think about that in every aspect of your life, not just running. Um, I wanted to ask you about your opinions and thoughts on being in the running, just like how rampant it was when you were running and yeah. how it is still now. Like As someone who competed at the level where you were probably getting beat out by people who or not right. playing fair. Right. Yeah. How did that make you feel? Well, I try not to think about it because I, I learned uh, a long time ago that you, you really just need to focus on what you can control. I really try to tell my kids that now too. <laughs> tell myself that uh, time and time again. Uh, but no, doping is um, is and was uh, um, not an unusual part of endurance sport and specifically in distance running what we're talking about. And so... You know, I do. I don't have test results, or uh, but we always knew who who was hoping and who wasn't, and uh, and it was a lot of times by association, whether it was their agent who has a history of it, or their coach, or et cetera, et cetera, and um, and it probably cost me, you know, two to three million dollars in lifetime earnings, right? Uh, meaning I was clean and and others right. were doping. Um, you know, I remember. I remember specifically. Well, there's a couple things. Like I, I like I said, I don't have any evidence, but I have I, two people that are still in the sport today who directly offered me, you know, banned substances, and it made me think. And just I won't go through the whole thing, but I feel bad now. Not bad. I don't feel bad, but I wish I was a little mature, more mature back then. Because I base my answer to them was basically. Oh, I'm taken care of. Almost like acting like I had my own stuff, mm -hmm. which I didn't. Um, if I was, if I had that happening in a day, I probably, they, I probably just call them out on it. But anyway, um, but it may, it kind of, it made me think about, and still makes me think about uh, a lot of people who kind of go down that path, really convince themselves that they're not cheating. Mm -hmm. And you can listen to all this rationale about. Everyone else is doing it, or it's just for recovery. It's not for performance, or you know, it's not really doping because it's out of your system in three hours, or you know, all these things that are effectively crap. But but in their head, they believe they're actually okay. Mm -hmm. right? I don't think there's too many people. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think there's too many people that say sit there and go, "I am going to cheat." Mm -hmm. You know, they they rationalize it some other way, but. Um, but I do remember a conversation I had um, with Kim McDonald, who's my agent and coach, and we were talking about doping. We weren't talking about whether we would do it or not because we weren't going to do it. But he's like, he he said, he said you could we could go get it right now, and you would almost guarantee yourself an Olympic medal um, if we did that. He goes, but you have to think about twenty years from now, sitting on your couch, 
at home doing whatever you're doing with your life at the moment, how are you going to feel about your, your athletic accomplishments? Are you going to be proud of them or are you going to wonder if it was you or the drugs? Mm. And uh, that always stuck with me because it's now 20 years later. Right. And, and I sit on my couch and I'm proud of uh, uh, the account, my, my running accomplishments and I know it was all me. Um, and I don't often let my time, my head go to wonder what mm-hmm. uh, could have happened if I knew everyone was clean. Right. There's nothing I can do about right. it. Right. It's gone. It's done. What What would you say to someone who's in your position back then now that is being offered yeah. that? And like, I mean, you probably say, yeah. think about in 20 years. I think the same thing. Is, yeah. You, know, you have to choose, think about today, but think about the rest of your life. And yeah. not just physically, because a lot of times we don't know physically what the ramifications of that is or will be. Just emotionally, are you going to be able to live? You got to be able to live with yourself. Mm -hmm. And we're lucky because we live in America where we have all these other opportunities. Mm. I do, I do, not that I justify it or think it's okay, but running is one of those sports that so much more of the world participates in, uh, from wealthy nations to, to third world nations. Whereas, you know, cycling, it's Mm -hmm. probably mostly wealthy nations, swimming, mostly wealthy nations uh, athletes coming from to me that's worse but if you if you if you uh, live in the rift valley in kenya and you're coming from nothing Mm -hmm. uh, your motivation is a little different right um than you know my motivation growing up in the suburbs of columbus ohio (laughs) right yeah where i was gonna be whatever my life looked like it wasn't gonna look like theirs um and so i have an appreciation for that um, that that just because my choices are different than their choices, mm-hmm. my circumstances are different than their circumstances. But I would say you, you've got you've got a. It's hard to think so far down the road. Mm-hmm. But when when we die, the day we die, it's not going to be about records and money, and it's going to be about relationships and your own sense, your own internal sense of self accomplishment. That that's going to make you be like, okay, yeah, uh, that was a good life. Or oh, shoot. Kind of mess that up. Right. Yeah. Hey everybody, before I continue my conversation with Bob, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor for this episode, PrepDish. PrepDish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. When you sign up, you'll receive an email each week with a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. PrepDish will help you save time, be efficient, eat healthy, and you'll have it all ready to go when you get home from work every day. Check out PrepDish.com slash another and use the promo code ANOTHER, all caps, for your free two-week trial. Thanks, PrepDish. We were talking about this a little bit before when we were uh, before we started the interview, how much genetics play into right. what you can do. What Can you talk about that a little bit and your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, it's always a, it's a tricky subject yeah. because you don't want to discourage, but certainly natural ability for a, a a certain sport or certain activity whether it be music or you know some we all have a gift i believe that our goal in life is to figure out what that gift is um, i think mine was running and so i have a, a, a kind of a hereditary or a natural uh, ability that's probably a, was above average and then i went in my opinion maximized that opportunity um but um, there, there's a that's an advantage. Uh, uh, you can take two individuals that work just as hard 
uh, uh, and do everything right, and the person with uh, in that in that instance, the person with the better ability is going to win more times than not um, because they just have that kind of advantage. What was that book you said you read? Oh, it's not an exciting book. Uh, I know, but it was called Lactate Threshold Training. It was a as a book on the science of lactate threshold training uh, in endurance sports. It was written by a was a Swedish exercise physiologist, but the very first paragraph of the book, book said uh, the most important factor in, in setting a world record is talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these other things that we're going to talk about, you know, blood lactate and uh, um, um, lactate threshold levels and training bands, they're only relevant in maximizing your, your God-given talent, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Running a sub thirteen minute five k, something like that. <laughs> um, and that's like when you go to your Wikipedia page. That's like one of the. That's like your uh, thing. Buck Kennedy, the first non-African to run a sub thirteen minute five k. Yeah. Twelve fifty eight. Twelve fifty eight. That's your that's your PR. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I don't love that. Uh, I don't let people go. That, that, uh, I don't love the descriptor of first non-African. Isn't that a weird? I always uh, think that's weird. Yeah. Thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's true, but yeah. Uh, but uh, I kind of won't get into religion. I'm a humanist, but I I don't I don't love that moniker. But um, anyway, the other thing about Wikipedia is, and I haven't looked at my Wikipedia page in forever, but I did find out a couple weeks ago that my my kids have edited my Wikipedia. They have not. Page. Oh my gosh! And so I don't know what's on there right now. Um, everything <laughs> I've read looks. To be what I've heard of you, I don't know. That's so funny. What did they? What did they? Edit? I I'm trying to remember, but I think it was they were fixing something they knew that wasn't right. Oh, that's too funny. And they're eleven. Well, that's the crazy <laughs> thing about Wikipedia is like anybody can write, but right. they do tend to be really accurate. Right, right. right? It's almost self policing. Or was it your daughter or your son that edited, or both, both together? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I want. Okay, that that's a natural segue. Talking about your daughter. Um, Sophia, she's getting into running. She's getting, she's good. She's yeah. very competitive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've heard you talk about before. Um, I don't know. There was an article or something that we were talking about, and some dad had their kid running like, you know, like sixty miles a week, and she was eleven. Right. And what's kind of your take on that? And how do you have her keep it fun? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm uh, really against that, honestly. Um, so Sophia probably has uh, that elevated level of natural ability. And she's yeah. 11. And she's 11. She's in sixth grade. Her mom was a good uh, uh, runner at IU, uh, so she's kind of got um, the, the parent thing going for her, and she's figured this out. And um, so she runs middle school cross country. She's in sixth grade, and uh, and she's, you know, Doing really well, and she's killing all the other sixth graders, and she's beating most of the eighth graders, not all of them. But she basically just run, goes to practice, comes home, doesn't run on the weekends, uh, doesn't really run too much over the summer or in the winter breaks, um, and I don't want her to. And what we work on, um, well, what I work on with her, and she's actually game for it, is her mental approach to racing. Uh, uh, her when she wants to go to excuses about how we try to move those uh, out of the equation and how she approaches um, warm-up and all the process things that were me that might not end up being her, but I uh, will worry about the physical side of it later, mm-hmm. the training side mm-hmm. of it later. And then I'm, I, and I need to continue to educate myself on this because I'm not fully educated. 
But I also just don't, as young girls go through puberty mm. and start having their periods, and she's not there. Right. And I don't, I, I don't think there's any reason to be training hard through that, mm -hmm. uh, through that part of her, her development. And so we'll kind of see if she still loves us in a few years and then go that, from there. That's a really interesting thing to bring up, too, because... Well, she's such a tiny little thing, too. That mm -hmm. probably won't happen until she's, like, 17. Right, You know, yeah, and that's yeah. probably when she will start training yeah, yeah. harder. Um, what do you think about people that have their kids that are, like, 18 or 17 running marathons? It depends on what they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's like, hey, we're going to go do this as a family, and, and it takes us five hours, it takes us five hours, mm -hmm. that's one thing. But if you're, like, full-on trying to set age group records or... It's just that's a long way. Yeah, it's a long way, and it's a lot of a lot of wear and tear on the body. Uh, and I just think it's stained. It, you can get m as much out of running at five k's at that age mm -hmm. uh, uh, than you can a marathon. There's plenty of time to to uh, um, to to make that accomplish those. To do that later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I always just think like an injury waiting to happen right. running that far at that young of an age yeah um i want to get into business stuff a little bit but before we do that since we're talking about marathons you were in your first marathon in 2014 i finished my first marathon in 2014. oh okay when did you start another one my very last competitive race i ran was the 2004 new york marathon oh i yeah. don't think i knew I that i dropped out at 18 miles what happened i was done yeah were you just i mean so they try to shorten it up a little bit. What were you on pace for? Uh, two ten in the two tens. Not was, yeah. Not slow. <laughs> um, I've been training in Boulder with Dieter Hogan, who is a, is a, who is and was a um, well-known marathon coach, Buddha Pipig, and a lot of the great Kenyan uh, marathoners, and um, yeah, and it was going well, and and I was ready to run two ten, and uh, but but I. In the end, it was my first crack at it, and I was slightly mm -hmm. overtrained. I had a high white blood cell count right before, which I didn't know until after. Mm. Uh, and you can't fake it at that right. at that pace at that distance. And so, you know, half halfway uh, felt fine, but then it started a wheel started to come off, and I would have dropped out 14 or 15 if I was in Manhattan. But I just mm. wanted to get across the bridge mm -hmm. and get closer to the hotel. Did so you keep running fast? Uh, well, I kept running. I ran, I kept getting slower every mile, yeah. and then I ran, I ran like a five, this sounds funny, but I ran like a 550 mile, like that's it, I'm done. Done. Yeah. What, 210, what's that mile pace? It's just under five minute pace. Okay. Yeah. So then, so that was 2004? Yeah. So then, was that kind of when, were you, did you want to go back and try it again? No, I knew, I knew, I knew that was going to be my last race. How old were you? 34. Okay, okay. Yeah, and my kids were be, were born January of 05. That would have been November of 04. Oh, so, so okay. So, like, everything was yeah. happening, yeah. Life was changing. Yep. Maybe you have told me that. Maybe I've heard that before, yeah. but I forgot. So then, uh, just two years ago, you ended up running New York again. Yeah. And it was for fun. Yeah. Was that, is that weird to then put yourself back in that scene and be like, I'm going to run it. Didn't you run, like, a 324 or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that weird to... Um, and being I'm a, good with a commoner it. or whatever you yeah. want to call it. You know, I'm I'm um, I walked away from my running career clean. Like I didn't look back. I'm I'm proud of it. I'm still I still love the sport. I'm not 
most people tell me like, oh, did you see so and so? You know, ran this. I'm like, oh no, I didn't. But then like I'll, people your age right. are still like running fast, or or even like Galen Rupp, or oh, yeah. uh, 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 or other great American runners now currently running. And, and then I'll go kind of look at it, mm. but I'm not a, mm-hmm. uh, I don't follow it all day every day. Um, so I walked away. I didn't look back. I have no regrets. Uh, I miss competing, mm. but I don't miss anything else about it. And um, uh, and so that was easy. So so I, I don't I I don't have a problem playing for fun. It took me a while to get there. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't run a step for almost four years. Crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? Did you exercise in those four years? <laughs> how did you cope mentally? Because I feel like that that was such a big part of your well, life. We, I, I don't know how much to get into this, but um, I did a lot more of all the things that I should have been doing in my twenties. Mm, okay, that I wasn't. Yeah. I drank more. I ate more. I had more. Like went out with friends more. Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff, and it was fun. Yeah, I, I, I liked it, um, but it also resulted in you know an extra fifty pounds mm. of body weight mm-hmm. and. Not feeling great about myself, and then, you know, the kids. You know, I told you were born in January of '05, and at the time, you know, oh, 2008, 2009 rolled around, and they're kind of getting to be toddlers. I'm like, I'm gonna stick around for a while, here, <laughs> you know. So then I started trying to be more healthy, and that kind of led into this uh, running more. Mm. Yeah. So, um, will you run another one? Probably. Yeah, just yeah. whatever. Chris and Beth and I have talked about kind of the six world majors. Oh, yeah. So we've done Boston, sort of. I've done. Oh, you did do Boston, too. Yeah, it was awful. Why do I keep forgetting things? <laughs> I knew that you did. I tracked you. Right. I remember tracking you, and I was like, what happened What's to Bob? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was rough. Uh, but, but interesting, too, because... Um, all these things go through your head that, that uh, well, I'll go back to New York because this, although I ran reasonably well in New York, um, I um, got into New York because I, I just contacted all the people I know at the race. They're like, oh, yeah, Bob, here's your entry. And mm-hmm. I got in, so that's awesome. But then I went, they're like, just come up to the, 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 elite, athlete, the elite athlete headquarters, pick up your number. I'm like, okay, great. So I'll go up and see David Monty and, um, they give my number, and across my chest it says Kennedy. I'm like, I'm not wearing this, <laughs> you know. And because uh, like only the elite runners right, have like their name, right? Right, yeah. right. That's right. Everyone else has a number, and um, so I'm like, because I, I, I know I'm not going to be anywhere near the front, not even close. And and in fact, longer story of this is the corral system at New mm-hmm. York, and Chris, I wanted to run with Christy Beth in the beginning, and. So I was just trying to get in her crowd. Right. I didn't really know. Sounds uh, a little, but you know, when I ran New York and when I was used to running races, like you go on a bus, they take you there mm-hmm. and you get at the start line, and there's, you know, it's not that difficult. Right. right. Um, so I go on the buses. I get there. We're hanging out. Going to the crowd, and she's like, they won't let me in the crowd. Oh, they wouldn't let you in. Right. So I then I lift it up and I. She goes, I've never seen that before. <laughs> my name across the chest. She goes, ah, just go ahead in. Right? So it worked to my advantage there. Then the second part of that story is um, I chimed myself on my watch, and I ran 3.23 something, uh, and I look at the official results, and it has me at like 3.25 flat. Ah. I'm like, ah, I don't really care. No big <laughs> deal. And then like a day goes by. No, I care. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever run New York or if anyone's run New York, you can you can dispute your time. Okay. 
through the website. So I dispute my time after much thinking about That's whether I cared or not. two minutes. Right. Whether I cared or not about, you know, trying to run 210. Right. And now caring about 325 <laughs> or 323. That's so funny. And and so I finally dispute my time. And I kind of talk about, you know, I started next to Christy Beth Adams and mm. her mm -hmm. number was this. And, here, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the evidence, here's what I was wearing because they have video everywhere. So I get an email back. And the guy uh, goes, first of all, I'm a big fan. Like, oh, no, <laughs> no, that's not what I wanted. Uh, and he goes, and he went to proceed to say the time was right because of this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, about an hour later, nope, I care. <laughs> so I email him back, and I'm I whatever my... <laughs> Whatever my uh, spiel was, I'm like, no, I, you know, I thank you so much, but I think this is wrong. Turns out, because I had an elite number, oh. they started my time on the gun instead of when I crossed the start line. That makes sense. So they officially changed my time to 323. So it's 323. I better make sure I Something. don't quote it at 324 then. Yeah, no, you'll hear from me. I was trying to think about that. I was like, how could it possibly be wrong, though, those chips? That's the yeah. only thing that I mean... Why were they putting you in the elite up there? I That's crazy. So you technically could have started with those guys. Yes. You could have ran like one one five minute mile. Right. Well, actually, could you have run one no. five minute mile? <laughs> if you went up, that's uphill. First miles up. Oh, that's right. See, that's why I I'm don't say really. That's why, but no. I don't really ever mm -hmm. want to do New York unless it's just totally purely for fun yeah. because I know it's a hard course. It's not. It's not a fast course. Yeah. But it's awesome, and it's it is. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Running the whole way through mm -hmm. the five boroughs. There's people the whole entire way. A lot of energy. Do you feel good in that race? I did, yeah. Yeah, because you were trained up yeah, good. Yeah. Um, well, in, going into Boston, you were like, you were injured. Kind of coming. That's that. And hurt. then you ran, um, we both ran the Bloomington half. Right. Like a few weeks before, and you were like, oh, didn't you run like 135 or yeah, something? Yeah, Just yeah. went hard. And right. Then, yeah. I thought, ah, that, I guess I'm okay now. Uh-huh. If you were to go out and run a mile as fast as you could right now, what would you run it in? Jeez. I don't know. I, I, I think my ego would say I could run under six minutes, but I don't really know. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I think Sophia can beat me. Probably, right? Yeah. 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 Um, after I have my baby... I'm going to get into better shape, and I'll race you in the mile. Because that'll be my first goal to be under six. Yeah. We'll put Sophia in there, yeah. too. I'll race both of you. Yeah. Okay, that's she ran 557 last night. In, in the mile? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a good goal, Bob. <laughs> so um, then you guys did rim to rim to rim. Yeah. And when you posted about that, you I'm pretty sure you said that was the hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah, it was. Which is crazy yeah. coming from all your race right. experience. Well, it's 40, it's 40, so rim to rim to rim is a, it's not an event. So a lot of people think it's a race, but you basically just show up, go. Mm. And it's from the south rim of the Grand Canyon, uh, down, down to the Colorado River, back up to, not back up, up to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, and then turn around and go back. And it's 48 miles, 48, 48 miles-ish, uh, and it's 11,000 feet of el uh, elevation change. And um, start off at three we start off at three thirty in the morning. Headlamps down this trail that's a bunch of switchbacks. Uh, that literally in the daylight you look down and you're like oh I could fall off that cliff pretty easily. That sounds terrifying. Um, and then um, across, but I, I it ends up being um, for me anyway. I hiked a lot of it, especially uphill. Um, 
And uh, and so turn around. So I did it a year before, and I only made it halfway. That's right. I take the shuttle of shame. <laughs> and you said yeah. you would never do that again, right? Right, because Christy Bath did not take the shuttle of shame with me. Did the whole thing twice. Twice, <laughs> and uh, she's like a mountain goat, but um, in the best possible way. Um, <laughs> the cutest mountain the cutest goat I've ever possible seen. Possible mountain goat. Um, but it was it was uh, so I love. Uh, kind of the mountains and and that kind of that um, scene is totally me, so I love that. Um, but uh, turned around, I got to the North Rim a little quicker than I did the previous year, but didn't feel any better oh. or worse. And um, I refilled my water. I got a couple snacks. Uh, we had uh, um, someone over there uh, with with supplies. And I started, it was cold, it's 8,000 feet of altitude, and it was cold, and I started to get really cold. And people were kind of taking the time, and I finally just said to people I was with, I said, walking down the trail. Because mm -hmm. if I don't start going back, I'll just, I'll just stop. Yeah. And once you start going down, you're, you're committed, mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, and so I just started walking, and I ended up walking, hiking, the entire way back. Really? Yeah. It took me... Um, just under 18 hours total. At the very end, you're coming up the South Rim, and it's three miles to go, which doesn't sound like that far, but it's a huge elevation climb. It takes hours. It took me hours. But I remember two things, I'll, and then I'll stop talking about this, but there's a rest house at a mile and a half, I think it is. I remember stopping at the mile and a half rest house, pitch dark, and I... Um, drink got some nutrition in me and I sat down on this boulder right next to the the water spigot I literally uh, sat down on the boulder I put my hands on my knees and I put my head in my in my hands and I started falling asleep like, like my body was falling asleep and I remember like jarring myself up like oh my gosh if you fall asleep here who knows sleep here through the night could die here you know <laughs> whatever and so I kind of got back up and just kept moving and it was literally a one foot in front of the other experience until you get to the top and at the top the trailhead at the south rim still we were lucky we had a hotel room right there it's like 300 yards mm -hmm. and that was the hardest because my mind i'm finished and my mind shut down i still had to get 300 yards back to the hotel room that was the hardest part and then when i got to the hotel room and christy beth who, by the way, had finished like two hours before me. <laughs> she was, you know, showered and, and, and full of energy and uh, trying to help me. And I remember her, uh, we were walking up to the hotel room. And she's really being sweet. And she's like, can I take your pack? And I'm like, no, I just need to get to the hotel room. I can't do anything else. I just need to get to the hotel room. <laughs> she's like, all right, all right. And so we got there and I sat on the chair and my body just... It, it, it started to shut down in a way that like, I went through this um, chills and then and then um, um, being overheated and, and then chills again. It kind of like you couldn't regulate itself mm -hmm. in my body. And then finally, I, the, the end of the story is I ended up in the tub in a fetal position with mm -hmm. warm water being, you know, filled up around me. So that's my, <laughs> that's why I say it's, it's the, the hardest. hardest thing I've ever done. Were you able to sleep? I, I was able to sleep. Yeah. I, mean, I was worried about that. Yeah, because sometimes when you do something yeah. like that, your body's so... Right. Um, so when you finished, was everybody kind of like, 
was everybody at the hotel or was everybody at the top like waiting for you to finish? Did you you were one of the last ones in the group or? Yeah, so there I think there were if I get this right, there were about 15 of us and um I was probably not that anyone was competing, right? Not, but I was probably the tenth person. But in out. your train of people, right. yeah. And there was one person who was still there who had just finished maybe a minute in front mm -hmm. of me. But everyone else, because they don't know, rightly so, right? They don't know when you'll be back. They were experiencing something similar right. to what I was. They just needed to get back as well, and I didn't wait for anyone behind me. No. Uh, um, and we all met for breakfast the next morning. Did anybody stay together the whole time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'd, I'd want to be with someone. I'd be nervous yeah. out there by myself. Well, I was with and and um, Gareth, who uh, works at Athletic Annex with us as well, was there, and he he proudly wants everybody to know that he finished before yeah. Bob. Yeah, we were just talking about <laughs> that this morning, where he says he dragged me up uh, the last uh, trail, and I said no, that would have been nice. You left me because <laughs> uh, uh, he yeah he finished I don't know 15 or 20 minutes up in front of me oh okay I thought he makes it sound like it was longer than that I know well as time goes by you have you can stretch oh okay you know, becomes the reality becomes whatever you want it to be okay I gotcha um so there's another there's a group that's going this year yeah Garrett's going back Garrett's going back and uh, Leanne and a bunch of people right. and I'm like on the maybe list yeah like, I'm paying Leanne a deposit for the hotel, right. but I'm not fully committed because yeah. I want to see, you yeah. know, what yeah. goes on How with this feeling? baby. Exactly. Yeah, I'll be, se I'll, be, I'll be seven months postpartum, which will be fine or something like that, but just if the, my crazy yeah. world allows yeah. it. I think, I think someone told me this. I think with some caveats this is true. If you're in decent marathon shape, yeah. you can be okay, and I would just add... A lot of like squats or stairs or oh, things like call. that. Um, and then the other piece of advice that I heard that is so true is um, the people get in real trouble or the people think they can quote unquote conquer the canyon. Mm. Just go in and enjoy it. Have it takes fun. as long as it takes. Right. It's not about time. Yeah. Well, that's what I keep telling myself anyway. Well, right. And I, but you, that being said, I feel like you want to go, I would want to go with people that are in the same similar physical shape sure. as me so we can hang together yeah, and like yeah. die together or not die together, <laughs> right, right, right? Um but that being said, I still feel like I would be nervous about falling and there was a there was a, a gal that was a tourist out there that, that fell and, yeah. and lost her life like soon after you guys <clears throat> There finished. are um, I think there are about four or five people who die every year. But but this I'm not saying this flippantly because people are losing their lives but right. But most of those are actually people taking pictures and they mm. get too close to the mm -hmm. edge and yeah. and they fall over. Right. Um, That's so scary. All right. So. Okay. So after your running career, you opened a specialty yeah, run store. Right. The running company. Mm-hmm. You guys rebranded to Blue Mile. That's right. And then, and now you're with Athletic Annex. Right. What, what made you say, I want to stay in the running world? <laughs> well, I, I think... That's all I've ever known. But normally, people who um, kind of come from where I've come from athletically, they, they usually do one of three things. They um, I say three things, and I can think of two. But I'll get to the third, hopefully, by the time I go through the list. They either coach. Mm -hmm. uh, they are um, they work kind of on the agent side of the business, mm -hmm. uh, or they work in sports marketing for one of the brands, like a Nike or a, a Saucony or a New Balance or something like that, and. Um, none of those really interested me, and 
uh, number one, almost all, all, all three of those involve a lot of travel. Mm. And I was done. I love to travel, but I traveled so much that I didn't want to do that. And then um, it just didn't interest me. And so um, a running store uh, to me was a way to stay involved in running, to kind of hopefully um, provide an opportunity for others to um, get joy out of running like I have, uh, because I do believe that joy comes from social, but it also comes from just uh, um, doing something you didn't think you could do. And that can happen at any speed. Um, and so to provide those kind of opportunities. And then, and then hopefully, you know, it's a job, so make some money too. It's not right. a, it's a, I've never hidden from the fact, the staff or customers, that this is a, it's a for-profit business. Right. So this is a Gareth question. I'm going to give him credit for this. Okay. Um, what elements we are running... He used the word parlayed, but I said, Gareth, I can't use it. I can't. Sounds very, uh, South uh, African. Yeah, it sounds very Commonwealth. Yes. I said, I can't use the word parlay. You can do it so, with an accent, a little accent. <laughs> so I'm going to use the word transition. Okay. What elements of your running have you transitioned and used in your business life? Mm. Um, I think uh, probably most of them. Uh, um, I, I very process-oriented or try to be. So, so when you're training for uh, um, a season or uh, an Olympics or World Championships, there's a process. Like certain things have to happen before you get to the next step, before you get to the next step. And if you don't lay the foundation, uh, all the other stuff is irrelevant or is less effective at a minimum. And, and so in business, I, I try to think that way as well. Like what aspects of um, of training or planning are we making sure we're covering so that we build a foundation that all the fun things, the shiny object things, as I call them, uh, matter. Instead of being in a being in a meeting and 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 um, or doing something that I uh, you know uh, uh, facing the shiny the shiny object syndrome, uh, but really doing uh, setting a core. So. Um, I'm trying to think of some examples. So, for example, in running, you know, there's three major physiological systems, and there's your aerobic system, and there's your anaerobic system, and then there's your kind of neurological or fast twitch, and, and you have to work all three of those things. Um, but but if if you if you know much about that, the more you do one, the the more it pulls from the other. So there's this balance of um, trying to maximize all three of them one maximum period but maximize them at the right time uh, and so in business I think my mind works that way as well when we talk about inventory uh, um, efficiency and we talk about staff and in-store experience and we talk about uh, external outreach and marketing and we talk about um, um, all those kinds of things they all work in conjunction with each other positively or negatively and that is my job, is to make sure every, every ball is in the air at the same time. We're not dropping any balls, moving them forward. So that's one thing. Um, I think others is just, just discipline. Uh, I, don't, I like the word discipline, but I think uh, it's not as hardcore as maybe some people think of it. But um, that we're, we're doing things every day that move us forward towards the goal that we set for ourselves. Um, and that we're not getting stuck in these things that don't matter. Mm. Uh, and that's hard sometimes. It is. It's hard in anything we do. I see that with my kids. I see that with myself. I see that with staff members here. Um, and so um, that's a big part of it. And then uh, and then the journey. 
I, I think that that this is a process that hopefully is perpetual, um, and that we make mistakes, and I'm okay with mistakes. And that's one thing that I learned in running is that um, um, have to be willing to make mistakes. You have to be willing to fail, um, and and that actually, if you really take that a step further, that failing is a big part of being successful. You have to fail in order to be successful. Sometimes it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around that. So one of my jobs here, I think, is to set a, set a, um, set the stage that it's okay to take some chances. Uh, I, you've, you've probably heard me say this, but uh, I, I try to try to go take some chances, go make mistakes. I only ask two things. One is don't make the same mistake over and over and over again. Let's learn from the mistakes we make and never bet the farm. Mm-hmm. Those, those, are, those are the two rules uh, that I try to live by and hopefully everyone else lives by. And then we go, we go do things. We go have fun and we go make mistakes. And, we're, and when we make mistakes, we learn from them and we laugh about them. We make fun of ourselves and, and, and move forward. And so... I feel like I'm rambling now, but uh, that's, a, that's a big part of I've learned from running that I use mm-hmm. today in business. Did you mm-hmm. ma- Did you were you in the business school? Did you major in business? I have a degree. Yes, I have a degree in finance from oh, IU. Yeah. So does Glenn. Yeah, yeah. No wonder you guys both like nerdy podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You nerdy finance guys. Um. So now you're you're owner of Athletic Annex, right? And we've kind of been going through this, like, rebranding thing here. When I started working here, I was the kind of person that would sometimes buy my shoes online Mm -hmm. because it's cheaper, okay? You think it's cheaper. You think it's Well, this is what I would do. (laughs) I'm just throwing it out there. I would buy, like, the older version. Right. So what do you say to someone who is, like, kind of in that mindset, um, you know, like, for a for-profit business, like, How important, how the importance of shopping local is, and all that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll say this: I'll start by saying that uh, retail and the way we all consume is so different today than it was five years ago, definitely ten years ago. And so there's so many more options. Everything is so transparent. You know, the consumer knows product that's available. They know that it comes in six colors. They know the prices in five different places, whether it be big box stores, run specialty stores, or online. And so um, we try to run our business where we don't hide from that. We mm-hmm. get that reality. And so we want to be transparent as well and run our business. Our business is about connecting with people, mm-hmm. that we want to be a place where people feel motivated and comfortable and uh, uh, and they're going to come and have a good time, whether it be one of our events or, or even shopping on us uh, uh, anytime. Um, and so we have uh, all the latest products, and we have the knowledge about the products, and we have the ability to fit you in the shoe or the product that it's your needs best. But I think the other thing is, and we need to do a better job at this, we also have that old shoe quite often, not all the time, hopefully not too much of it, mm-hmm. uh, that we are likely selling mm-hmm. at that same discounted price. And I think a lot of people don't know that. And I think a lot of people don't know about that. And so that's up to us to kind of better communicate those opportunities. And I think if you, if, if, if I, you're probably similar to most people in that, excuse me, if you're running a, a decent amount, 
you're probably coming into a store and getting a pair of shoes once a year where you go through the fit process you kind of what's new what's great you know what's the latest has my shoe updated what's different about it and then you probably buy two or three more pairs online somewhere or in a big box because you're buying your kid a baseball glove or a pair of soccer boots and uh, and you see your shoe over there and it's you know it's easy mm-hmm. it might be price but also might be convenience yeah right uh, and so we're trying to be better at um, being um, more accessible, being more transparent with our opportunities and being the place that you call first. Mm-hmm. And we'll be honest with you. Like, yeah, you should buy that there, <laughs> right? Because we can't match that or yeah. we don't have it or whatever. And so, but, but Run Specially is, I think it's strong and will continue to be an important part of communities because it is that connection to the community. If it goes away running community in all markets across the country will become uh, boring. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's the place where people, I mean, people are making their f- friends there. I mean, mm-hmm. we have our little groups of, of gals that have met up, and they've literally met through our training right. program, and they're best friends. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Before we move on to the um, my last couple fun questions, I want to talk about the drumstick dash, because um, we have... Um, MHS of Indiana, they are a supporter of the Drumstick Dash, and they are actually sponsoring this episode. Um, but you are like one, you and Steve Kerr are like the right. Drumstick Dash people. Can you kind of just explain the race <laughs> in, a, in a brief nutshell? Well, Steve uh, has built this. Uh, Steve Kerr is a, uh, works at Wheeler Mission, and he puts this race on, and their team puts this race on, and he's the one who's built it. But I remember, um, I can't remember the exact year, but they used to have a spring race called the Homeless Hustle. And they had, I don't know, six or 700 people coming, maybe it was a little more than that. He came to me once uh, when I was at the running company in Broad Ripple, the mile, and he said, how can we make this bigger? And I said, move it to Thanksgiving. I'm going to go ahead and take full credit for that. I think that happened that way. Yeah. And uh, I said, move it to Thanksgiving. And the very first year we had it, um, they, they had 1,600 runners. Which is a lot for a first-time race. And it basically doubled their spring race. So they were super excited. And he said, how big do you think we can get this? And I said, I think you can get to ten or 12,000. He said, wow, really? Uh, and what, what was it last year? It was almost 19,000. Yeah, it was, a little over 19,000. Yeah. So it's a fun. So the whole idea behind the drumstick dash, number one, it, it, it it's Wheeler Mission's single largest um, source of funds, uh, biggest fundraiser. And, and that in and of itself is awesome. And they, they for those do. of you who don't know, Wheeler Mission is a homeless uh, shelter in Indianapolis. Yeah. It's the largest shelter Network, in Indiana. Right. Yeah. They have amazing programs yeah. that help people get through a lot of different things. Um, so uh, it's great in, in for that in and of itself. Um, but we wanted a situation where it was a community, family-oriented. So we literally have, and they still have it today, which I'm so proud of, I'm going to take credit for this as well. <laughs> Whether it's true or not, I might get a call from Steve. Steve. we will cross-check right. with you. But there's literally a uh, shortcut. Oh, right. right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember talking about it. Like we should, we should have this random – I ran a Thanksgiving Day race competitively in Manchester, Connecticut once, and it's a random distance. It starts in front of the store. It basically goes around the block, and it finishes. It's 4.7 or 4.6 miles. So you – have the same thing. It starts in Broad Ripple. It basically goes around the block. 
more than that, but it's a 4.2-ish mile race, so it's not some uh, common race distance. And then, you know, if you are pushing your kid's stroller or running with your dogs or um, or just don't feel great, uh, <laughs> halfway through you can make take the shortcut. And, uh, and it's like two and a half. Yeah, a lot of people do, and it's uh, it's just fun. It's just a fun time. Yeah, we um, we go every year. We wait to leave for the holidays until after the race, and now we take our kids every year. Yeah. And yeah. I guess last year when I've had, yeah, Lewis, yeah, he was there. So, yeah, and there's tons of strollers, and I will say I do sneak up a little bit front with my stroller, yeah. even though I'm not supposed to. Yeah. It's against don't the rules. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Nobody listening. I've already confessed to Steve, and he knows. <laughs> um, and he's the race director. Um, okay, so yeah, that's super exciting, and that's Thanksgiving Day, and um, that's kind of a thing now. Thanksgiving Day it's races. A thing, right? It's a it's a really fun way to start the holiday. Yeah. And a big thank you to Ann Better from MHS for sponsoring this episode and supporting the Drumstick Dash. Ann Better from MHS is committed to helping you live well, and I'm so excited to support them in their partnership with the Drumstick Dash. Come join them and me and my family on Thanksgiving morning. You'll be pounding the pavement for a purpose. Go to drumstickdash.org for more information. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Mm. Uh, I think we've talked about it already. Probably, uh, yeah. Right. That would make so sense. So it's related. I remember it all comes down to decisions, like big decisions. Should I go down this path or should I go down this other path? And um, I actually... Um, after the Barcelona Olympics in 1992, I was thinking about not running my last year of cross country at IU and going and being a professional runner right away. And um, Terry Brom, who was an IU runner, IU Olympian, 5,000 meters, um, he wrote me a letter, uh, which you know no one does anymore, but I still have that letter. And part of the letter, as he talked about this decision, was... He quoted Shakespeare, as only Terry can do. <laughs> He's like, to thine own self be true. And, and that's, prob that's probably one of the best pieces of advice that I've been given. It's just all this noise that happens, and, and rightly so. I'm not, it's not being critical of that, but when you're trying to make major life decisions, you have to be true to yourself. Who are you? What are you about? The best path for you and your family. Uh, so that was a big one. And then related to that is this. What, how are you going to feel about your decision mm. 20 years from now? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, a, that's a test yourself on that one someday. Yeah. Right? Because it's hard to know exactly. If you really know yourself, if you're true to yourself, you'll, you'll probably know what the answer is if you think of it that way. Mm -hmm. So those two pieces right there. That's good. Um, I don't know if you studied up on this. Mm. Is there anything you're loving right now? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bring us something fun, Bob. Bring you something fun. Uh, well, we uh, podcasts. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. not fun, is it? It's fun. But I've been listening to more random podcasts. And uh, what are what are some of the ones you listen to? So I, I, probably like everyone, uh, this American Life has been very interesting, entertaining. Um, I also listen to um, uh, Econ Talk. There's the finance guy yeah. coming out. And some of those are really fascinating, and some of them are really boring. Uh, and I'll <laughs> Do you ever stop halfway yeah, through? Yeah, yeah, and delete it. Yeah, I've done that a few times. Um, and then, you know, um, I've, uh, my friend Chris Farley, who owns uh, Pacers uh, uh, Running Stores in Washington, D.C., they have a podcast called Pace the Nation. Oh, you were on that. I was on that. That's uh, he, He's pretty funny. His group's yeah. pretty funny. And, um, um, 
I'm going to have to check them out. Yeah. Because I remember I saw you post that, and I was like, man, I've been meaning to get Bob on for a long time. <laughs> and now he's on this other one. i got to get him. Right. And I, I actually um, heard you on Jay Johnson's yeah. podcast, mm-hmm. too, a while ago. I don't know how I stumbled upon that. And I was like, oh, Bob. Yeah. That was before I launched mine, though. Right. Um, the other things, um, you know, uh, I'm kind of into um, music, live music. I've been um, yeah. traveling a little bit. I went to Red Rocks. saw Jason Isbell at Red Rocks last month. It was awesome. Um, saw uh, Sturgill Simpson in Memphis, who I'm not a big country fan, but Sturgill's uh, pretty darn good. He's and, the real deal. Yeah, and... Um, and it all stems from, I think this is perpetual surge. I got lucky years ago, and I went to the Bluebird in Bloomington. I paid $10 general mission. I saw Mumford & Sons oh. right before they were on the Grammys. Mm-hmm. That year that they really just exploded. And that, it killed it that night. It was awesome. And like I'm always, I'm, I think I'm on this perpetual search for this small venue mm-hmm. Seeing the band right before they hit it big. And I don't think I'll ever find it again. But You know what? You just missed it. Oh, no. Because do you know the band <laughs> Shovels and Rope? Yes. They were at the Vogue oh, wow. like three days ago. Really? And I saw them when they opened for Jason <clears throat> Isbell at the Murat earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And we were driving in Broderpool the other day. And it was on the... Yes, yeah. it was that night. And I was like... So tired. I was like, should we get a babysitter? Should we show up? Should we just go? We didn't. But that's yeah, an example. That like, good. the Vogue is similar to the, the Bluebird. Bluebird yeah. And it's this incredible band. And I don't know how big Shovels and Rope is going to get, but they're awesome. Yeah. Have you heard them? Uh, I have. Yeah. yeah. Not, not extensively, yeah. but I, I know who they are. They're in that kind of genre. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of something... My friend Kelly, he he's he and I uh, were on that perpetual search together, so we do a lot of that traveling, mm-hmm. uh, going to, to cool places and seeing some bands. Yeah, that's awesome. What's Other the best? Than that, I'm boring. You are boring. No, you're not <laughs> at all. What's the best, most recent book you've read? I haven't read in forever. Um, or all-time favorite book? I read. Well, I got a the lot. The Lactic Threshold. Uh, <laughs> no, that wouldn't be one of them. Uh, Probably the last book I read that I liked was a, it's kind of a business book, but it's called um, um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty fascinating and interesting um, startup, but also just evolution of organizations. Um, won't bore you with that. Uh, and then years and years and years ago, I read a book called A Hope in the Unseen, which is a book um, that stemmed from a couple of Wall Street Journal articles, and it's about um, a young African-American male out of the uh, Washington, D.C. school districts that ends up going to Brown University, Ivy League, and the struggles that aren't necessarily about intelligence but about cultural challenges, um, losing his calculator at Brown and what that meant to him versus what that means from you know, a kid from the suburbs mm-hmm. of Columbus, Ohio, um, and all these different things. And that kind of was a really interesting that's such an old book, but a great book, and that kind of stuff really fascinates me. That's good. Any shows? Are you guys watching any shows? Uh, Netflix. What do you uh, watch on Netflix? Um, never thought I'd been into it, but I'm really into Walking Dead. Oh, um, you're one of those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Bloodline. 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 I started good. that. Yeah. So those are kind of my two right now. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's all I got for you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Fun. All right. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Bob, for coming on the show and sharing your story. 
passing along a little bit of wisdom to our listeners. Thank you, Ann Better from MHS, for sponsoring this episode and for supporting the Drumstick Dash. Big shout out to Prep Dish for sponsoring this episode as well. So happy to partner with you guys. You guys make sure you're following me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine and Instagram Lindsay Hine 626 to stay up to date on everything that I have going on. All right, you guys, I will see you as always next Friday. Have a wonderful weekend.